We would all like to think that the Nuclear Regulatory Commission is enforcing the highest possible safety standards for all nuclear reactors, especially those that have had problems in the past. Reactors like Pilgrim Nuclear Power Station in Massachusetts, which is scheduled to be shut down in 2019. So when you hear an expert who really knows her stuff and has the footnotes to prove it say... Pilgrim is even more danger to us all now is because Entergy is putting the minimum into this reactor. They were given exemptions to ordered Fukushima safety upgrades. Entergy was also given exemptions for cybersecurity upgrades. And the NRC is allowing them to continue to violate federal safety standards without any consequences or accountability. It's really, really dangerous. Well, when you hear something like that, especially if you live anywhere near Pilgrim Nuclear Power at the foot of Cape Cod, you realize that you are stuck in that seat that we all share. Nuclear hot seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat, it's the bomb. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly international news magazine keeping you up to date on all things nuclear from a different perspective. My name is Libby Halevi. I am the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island from just one mile away. So I know what can happen when those nuclear so-called experts get it wrong. This week, an update on the always-on-the-verge-of-nuclear-nightmare Pilgrim Nuclear Power Station in Plymouth, Massachusetts. We'll talk with Diane Turco, executive director of Cape Downwinders, who will tell us a shocking series of problems and risks posed by this poorly-run, aging nuclear reactor that makes it a real minute-by-minute threat to people and the environment. We'll also have nuclear news from around the world, Numbnuts of the week for outstanding nuclear boneheadedness, activist shoutouts, and more honest nuclear information than Michelle Wolf included in her White House press correspondence dinner monologue. All of it coming up in just a few moments. Today is Tuesday, May 1st, 2018, and here is the week's nuclear news from a different perspective. There has been a lot of nuclear news in the past few weeks that we haven't been able to get to, and this week we're going to do our best to catch up. Starting out in the U.S., on April 23rd, we learned that at the Idaho National Laboratories in Idaho, a 55-gallon barrel containing radioactive sludge erupted, that's the word that's being used, erupted as opposed to exploded, after initially saying earlier this month that the barrel was leaking. Then, two days later, on April 25th, we learned that a total of four barrels containing radioactive sludge ruptured. These barrels contained material sent in other barrels to Idaho in the 1960s, and those barrels likely contained fluids and solvents from nuclear weapons production at the Rocky Flats plant near Denver. 
These barrels all exploded on the same day that they had been packed, and ironically, this was done in advance of the plan to send them to the waste isolation pilot plant in Carlsbad, New Mexico, which had its own explosion underground of a 55-gallon barrel of waste. This happened on Valentine's Day of 2014 and forced that repository for World War II nuclear weapons waste from Los Alamos National Laboratory to be shut down for three years. No word as to the extent of the shutdown at Idaho National Laboratory, and no word as to what's going to be done to those four barrels, their spewed contents, and any of the other waste they were planning to send to WIP in New Mexico. More on radioactive waste and our inability to dispose of it correctly. In San Francisco, the scandal involving cheating in the $1 billion cleanup at the former Hunter's Point Naval Shipyard has now focused on allegations of what was left behind at the site. Radioactive dirt dumped into trenches to save time and expense of testing and disposing of it properly. Former shipyard employees and environmentalists contend that soil with potentially dangerous levels of radioactive waste was trucked to conventional landfills across California, the sort of dumps that typically fill with tree branches, construction debris, and old dishwashers, not radiological waste from a former nuclear test lab that handled uranium and plutonium. The shipyard, home to the Naval Radiological Defense Laboratory from 1946 to 1969, is now the site of the San Francisco Shipyard Development Project, regarded as perhaps the most important development site in the city. It is to contain more than 10,500 housing units, 300 acres of open space, millions of square feet of retail, schools, a hotel, and artist studios. But former shipyard employees say that Tetratech, the company that was paid between $350 million and $450 million to lead the cleanup of the site, relaxed the standards for what was allowed to leave the property starting in 2011. Portal monitors, which are radiation detection scanners used to prevent trucks containing dangerous materials from exiting, were reset to be less sensitive an area with scaffolding that allowed inspectors to get on top of the trucks to inspect shipments, was taken down. And here's a kicker. Whereas previous trucks that set off an alert from the portal monitor more than twice would be made to dump their soil loads back on a tarp to be retested and cleaned of dangerous materials, the new policy just required an employee to walk around the truck with a handheld monitor. Those monitors rarely detected anything because, according to workers, the truck beds made it tough to get readings. Two large articles on the Hanford site and the problems at that southeastern Washington site, the most radiologically contaminated site in the Western Hemisphere. In a very thorough roundup article from the Tri-City Herald and the writing of Annette Carey, Problems first identified six years ago at the Hanford vitrification site continue to plague the multi-billion dollar cleanup, or purported cleanup. This according to federal investigators with the Government Accounting Office. The Department of Energy and its contractor have not shown that the plant has the quality needed to operate safely when it starts treating some of the nation's deadliest nuclear waste, if it ever does, 
And the contractor, Bechtel National, has not fully completed planned corrections. And the corrections it has made have not prevented continuing quality assurance problems. This again, according to the GAO. The $17 billion vitrification plant has been under construction since 2002. That's 16 years. And it's intended to turn up to 56 million gallons of radioactive waste into a stable glass form for disposal. But this is yet another nuclear waste, quote-unquote, solution that is not working out. Meanwhile, Oregon Live raises the question, why was plutonium dust left to blow for miles across a Washington plateau? That's a really good question. As crews demolished a shuttered nuclear weapons plant during 2017 in central Washington, specs, that's the word of choice these days for tiny bits of radioactive material, specs of plutonium were swept up in high gusts and blown miles across a desert plateau above the Columbia River. The releases at the Department of Energy cleanup site for the plutonium finishing plant spewed unknown amounts of plutonium dust into the environment, coated private automobiles with toxic heavy metal, and dispensed lifetime internal radioactive doses to 42 workers. The contamination events went on for nearly 12 months, getting progressively worse before the project was halted in mid-December. Now, state health and environmental regulators, the Department of Energy officials, and federal safety investigators are trying to figure out what went wrong and who is responsible. Good luck with that. As I said, we will have links up to both of these extensive articles on our website, nuclearhotseat.com, under this episode, number 358. A bit of good news, if you can put up with delayed gratification. First Energy Solutions, the power plant subsidiary of Akron-based First Energy Corporation, has certified to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission that it will definitely close its Davis-Bessey nuclear power plant on May 31, 2020. It will also close its Perry nuclear plant on May 31, 2021, and close both reactors at its Beaver Valley plant near Pittsburgh in 2021 as well. Davis-Bessey is the site of the infamous We Almost Lost Toledo situation in 2002, when it was discovered that more than six inches of carbon steel on top of the reactor in the containment dome, six inches out of a six and a half inch thick reactor pressure vessel had been eaten through, leaving less than half an inch of that carbon steel between radioactive material and disaster. So if First Energy, the company behind that almost disaster, is getting out of the nuclear business? Brava. This is a big story that has been doing the rounds this week. A group of graduates from Auburn University in Alabama have developed a rare eye cancer, and scientists are stumped to try and figure out why. Uveal melanoma is rare and affects several parts of the eye, only about five people out of every million are diagnosed with the condition, making it extremely rare. Which raises the question, why have a small group of people who attended Auburn University in the 1980s and 90s developed the disease at roughly the same time? There's also a similar set of cases in Huntersville, North Carolina. However, 
As I have learned, anytime somebody says the words rare cancer and rare cancer cluster, look to the nuclear angle. And as it turns out, there is a nuclear engineering program at Auburn University that does have a nuclear reactor on site. And Huntersville is the site of Brown's Ferry. So if the doctors are trying to find out what happened, they just might want to look at the nuclear situation, disposal of waste, transport routes. There are a lot of ways that this kind of contamination could have happened, and it would go a long way to explaining this particular outbreak, as it were. And if you would like to join the conversation, there is now a Facebook group, Auburn Ocular Melanoma Cluster. As regards weapons, despite the United States vowing not to use depleted uranium, DU, weapons in its military action in Syria, our government has now admitted that it has fired thousands of the deadly rounds into Syrian territory, this according to Foreign Policy magazine. The DU bombing took place between November 16 and November 22, 2015. Operation Inherent Resolve, I don't know who comes up with these things. They're just sitting there with a thesaurus and too much time. Operation Inherent Resolve spokesman John Moore said in 2015 that U.S. coalition aircraft have not been and will not be using depleted uranium munitions in Iraq or Syria during Operation Inherent Resolve. Yeah, right. DU damages DNA human lung cells by breaking down chromosomes within cells and stopping them from growing and dividing healthily. While this report cites the possible result as being lung cancer, it completely ignores reproductive issues. The United States used DU weapons against Iraq, and to this day, women in Fallujah in Iraq are told that they should not try to have children because of the risk that DU poses for them of creating genetic mutations and birth defects. And now we've done it in Syria. Moving on to North Korea, which announced on Saturday, April 21st, that it had suspended nuclear and longer-range missile tests and shut down its main nuclear test site. North Korea's Central Committee of the Ruling Workers' Party decided that nuclear tests and ICBM launches would cease as of Saturday, April 21st and that the country's main Pongyiri nuclear test site will be, quote, dismantled to transparently guarantee, end quote, the end of testing. However, scientists now believe that there may be another reason for this halt to testing and dismantling of the mountain. It comes from geologists at the University of Science and Technology in China. They report that the mountain above North Korea's main test site in Punjiri, has likely collapsed following a nuclear test last fall, sparking concerns about radioactive fallout and environmental catastrophes. Following a nuclear bomb test on September 3rd of last year, the researchers say the explosion created a cavity and damaged chimneys of rocks out of nearby Mount Mantap that could be leaching radioactivity. Estimated at 100 kilotons, the blast was the sixth test and 10 times stronger than any of the previous five. For comparison, this was 100 kilotons, and the bomb that was detonated over Hiroshima in 1945 was 15 kilotons. 
This evaluation by the scientists was based on collecting high-quality seismic data and examining satellite imagery before and after the tests. In the past week, North and South Korea have taken major steps towards developing peace and reunification possibilities between the two countries. The same cannot be said about the upcoming discussions between Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump, which is the subject of a nuanced analysis of U.S.-North Korea relations by Bob Alvarez. The title is Trump Faces Obstacles to a Korean Deal, Some Self-Inflicted. It's an excellent read, and we will link to it on the website, nuclearhotseat.com, this episode, 258. In Canada, opposition is heating up to the proposed Chalk River nuclear waste dump on the Ottawa River just north of Greater Montreal. A coalition of Indigenous First Nations people and environmentalists who have been warning about this dump have now been joined by 82 municipalities of the Montreal Metropolitan Community, which passed a unanimous resolution against this dump on Thursday, April 26th. If you are a Canadian resident and are listening to this program and have not yet signed on to the petition against this waste dump being established, you can do so by going to our website, nuclearhotseat.com. We will have a link up under Missing Links. In Ukraine, that country's ecology minister has warned of the danger of a second Chernobyl if Russian-led separatists pursue plans to flood a coal mine where a small nuclear bomb was detonated in 1979. U.S. State Department spokeswoman Heather Newart wrote on Twitter, Plans by Russian proxies to flood the abandoned Yunkom coal mine could threaten drinking water of thousands of Ukrainians in Russian-controlled eastern Ukraine. Ukraine has called for international help to stop a potential radiation catastrophe from happening. And speaking of potential new Russian nuclear catastrophes, a controversial floating nuclear power plant built by Russia that environmentalists have dubbed the nuclear Titanic has set sail on its first sea voyage. The floating nuke, dubbed the Akademik Lomonsov, was towed out of the St. Petersburg shipyard where it was constructed last Saturday. The floating reactor the first of its kind in the world, and please may it be the last one, will then be loaded with nuclear fuel before being towed to the Arctic port of Pevik in the summer of 2019, where it will be put into service. And to do what exactly? Refreeze the Arctic? Greenpeace nuclear expert for Central and Eastern Europe, Jan Haverkamp, said, This hazardous venture is not just a threat to the Arctic, but potentially to other densely populated or vulnerable natural regions, too. In Belgium, the reactor cooling system at the Doel nuclear power station has suffered a leak. In Scotland, new cracks have been discovered in one of that country's aging nuclear reactors at Hunterston B in North Ayrshire, raising radiation safety fears and resulting in a prolonged shutdown. Hunterston is already 42 years old when it was only expected to operate for 30 or 35 years. So it is well past retirement age for a nuke. In the Philippines, the Department of Energy has submitted its recommendation to the president on the country's nuclear energy policy. 
the Philippines has a nuclear energy policy. It will include a decision on the future of the mothballed Bataan nuclear power plant, which was completed in 1984 but never fueled or operated. They could always see what it's worth on Antiques Roadshow. And according to World Nuclear News, the nuclear industry is now pushing nuclear energy in sub-Saharan Africa, 48 countries. Just the place where we want to see a proliferation of nuclear reactors. Not. Good news from South Africa, as two women have been awarded the Goldman Environmental Prize, the world's leading environmental award, for facing down Vladimir Putin and the country's recently disposed leader, Jacob Zuma, to overturn a multi-billion dollar nuclear deal. The women, Makoma Lekalakala and Liz McDade, were the sole signatories of a successful legal challenge against the plan for South Africa to buy up to 10 nuclear power stations from Russia at an estimated cost of 1 trillion rand or 76 billion U.S. dollars. In Japan, more insanity as the Environment Ministry plans to use radiation-tainted soil from Fukushima to build roads in Fukushima Prefecture, starting with trials in the city of Nihonmatsu next month. But in the face of fierce protests from safety-minded residents, the ministry is struggling to advance the plan. The ministry intends to use soil with cesium emitting a maximum of 8,000 becquerels per kilogram in public works projects nationwide. The average radiation level for soil used for road construction is estimated at about 1,000 becquerels per kilogram, according to the ministry, or one-eighth the amount that they're now trying to put over on the residents. There are similar plans to use this landfill for gardening in the village of Itate. But given the protests, an official link to the ministry said, it's difficult to proceed as is. Ya think? And now... Nuclear hot seat. Nuclear hot seat. Nuclear hot seat. None that's out a week. Two weeks ago on Nuclear Hot Seat 356... For our numbnuts of the week, we reported that Japan had objected to South Korea's import ban on seafood from Fukushima Prefecture and seven adjacent prefectures. Japan had appealed to the World Trade Organization, which last October turned around and ordered South Korea to eat its seafood from Fukushima. South Korea again objected and put in an appeal to the World Trade Organization, and that's where we left it two weeks ago. Well, nothing grinds more quickly than the wheels of the world in trying to protect Japan as the 2020 Olympics are going to be upon us in a year and a half. Because, yep, you got it, the World Trade Organization says, no, you're going to sit there, you're going to import your irradiated seafood from Fukushima and seven adjacent prefectures, and you're not leaving the table until you do. Now the question becomes, is there going to be round three in these negotiations? As South Korea, now becoming a highly praised peacemaker in the world for its recent negotiations with North Korea, is going to stand for Japan saying, you must buy what you believe is radiation-tainted seafood. Japan just won't let it go. And that's why Government of Japan, World Trade Organization, you guys are once again this week's Nuclear Hot Seed, none that's out a week. We'll have this week's featured interview in just a moment. 
But first, when it comes to nuclear, the bad news hits just keep on coming. Mainstream media barely notices nuclear problems, let alone bothers to cover them consistently or with any depth. That's what you count on Nuclear Hot Seat to do. Get into nuclear stories with more facts, continuity, and context, as well as skepticism, than you'll find on all the mainstream media combined. We get behind the scenes, under the skin, and into the heart of nuclear matters every week, with fresh information and an unrelenting perspective. Does having access to this information each week help you understand what's going on? Good. That's what we're here for. And that's why we're asking for your help. It's no surprise that there are costs incurred to bring you the nuclear news and interviews that you get here. And we need help in meeting those expenses. So if you value the kind of information Nuclear Hot Seat provides, help us keep going by sending a donation of any size. Just go to NuclearHotSeat.com and click on the big red donate button. And for those of you who want to make a big difference but lack the budget, you can help us out a little at a time. On the website, there is also a big green donate button that allows you to quickly set up a recurring donation of just $5 a month. It's the same as what you would spend on a cup of coffee, maybe a little nosh as well. It really does make a big difference in meeting our monthly expenses to have those regular donations that we can count on. So please, do what you can to help Nuclear Hot Seat to search out and share nuclear information that helps you understand the issues that the nuclear industry would really rather you not know about. Whatever you can do to help, you have my gratitude. Here's this week's featured interview. Diane Turco is Executive Director of Cape Downwinders. She has long been a passionate, outspoken activist working to close the Pilgrim Nuclear Power Station, which is located near Boston at the foot of Cape Cod. Diane is fearless in her speech and her actions. Even getting arrested during a sit-in in Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker's office when he refused to set a meeting to discuss Pilgrim with concerned constituents. We've often interviewed Diane for Nuclear Hot Seat, and here she brings us up to date on the bad choices and near misses at Pilgrim since the start of 2018. Diane Turco, it is always a pleasure having you as a guest on Nuclear Hot Seat. Well, thank you for having me back. Pilgrim nuclear power plant just doesn't quit when it comes to the bad news. First, let's set for people a little bit of the history of Pilgrim. It has a terrible record with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission and has been ranked one of the worst-run reactors in the country, a status which the NRC reaffirmed just last month. How long has that been happening? Well, it's been happening the whole life of the reactor, realistically, but since 2015, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission has rated Pilgrim at the lowest safety designation a nuclear reactor can receive. And not only is Pilgrim the worst, but so is an energy corporation that operates Pilgrim. It seems that the reactor has been having more than its usual share of problems since the first of the year. What happened with the big storm that hit New England just after January 1st? 
Well, you know, Pilgrim has a long history of loss of offsite power during winter storms. And in fact, the 2015 scram or emergency shutdown due to loss of offsite power resulted in a special inspection at Pilgrim. 12,000 additional Nuclear Regulatory Commission inspection hours resulted from that. After that storm, protocol was put into place that when weather conditions uh, indicate there's a probability of loss of offsite power, that Pilgrim will be shut down. However, the problem is it's not a net NRC requirement. So it, it's leaving a public safety decision up to Entergy Corporation. And loss of offsite power or a loop problem, as it's sometimes referred to, mm-hmm. was one of the contributing factors at Fukushima Daiichi to the devastation when they lost power and went through the triple meltdowns, correct? Exactly. And um, we know that the Nuclear Regulatory Commission identifies loss of offsite power as an accident precursor. And when one or more accident precursors happen together, it could lead to core meltdown. So with that storm in January, the plant was not shut down in advance of the storm itself. What happened on January 4th? Okay, so January 4th, the whole area was warned that there would be massive loss of power, flooding, trees down. It was identified as a severe storm. And Pilgrim, Energy kept operating Pilgrim right through that storm. Now, we called for a shutdown. You know, they do have the procedure where if there's a potential, they're supposed to be shutting down. And they didn't. And so there was loss of offsite power, and a line went down offsite. And so there was a manual scram. And a manual scram means like screeching on the brakes from full operation to dead stop, which is no better for a nuclear reactor than it is if you try and do that with a car in the middle of the freeway when you've been going 80. Exactly. And what is happening at Pilgrim is that there's a history of loss of offsite power during blizzards. It's just a serious situation. But what we said was it wasn't a scram per se or the loss of offsite power that was the problem. It was a human error of operating a nuclear reactor during a severe storm. The second point was the loss of offsite power. So we see that there were two accident precursors happening at this time. And that should have been grounds for the shutdown of Pilgrim. Right. Yes, absolutely. I mean, if public safety is first, then they should have powered down and then shut down the reactor. So if you're looking at a multiple repetitive degrading nuclear reactor since 2015, and it is that that today, and it was that during that storm, um, you're looking at a recipe for catastrophe. In February, coming out of that situation, there was Mm -hmm. a very strongly worded letter sent to Christine Svidnicki, the chair of the NRC, by Massachusetts Senators Elizabeth Warren and Edward Markey, along with Representative William Keating. They were demanding answers to a series of questions about the January scram. What were they demanding to know from the NRC? Well, they wanted to know what the NRC was going to do about these loss of offsite power situations. What I find really powerful in that letter is that they agreed with us that this was an alarming situation and needed to be addressed. But again, looking to the NRC as we see them, their negligence over time, they're not going to give the answers. So that's a great letter. They agreed that it was a danger, but we're still waiting for them to say, you know what, NRC, you are not doing your job. We're demanding that you shut down Pilgrim. That hasn't happened yet. And did the NRC or Christine Svidnicki respond to this letter at all in a way that we're aware of? 
No, we haven't received any response yet from our reps. Wow, that's two months that it's been since the letter was sent. Our tax dollars at work. Now, as this has continued to unfold for the year, on March 6th, Pilgrim was shut down again, this mm -hmm. time due to a transformer failure. What was that about? And in the wake of this most recent difficulty, what has happened? Well, actually, um, what happened is on March 2nd, there was another severe storm. And again, high percentage of loss of offsite power, trees down, flooding. I mean, we've really been hit hard with severe storms. And Entergy ran Pilgrim through that storm again. And what happened was on March 2nd, the Massachusetts Emergency Management Agency sent an email to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission and the Federal Emergency Management Agency and said that the local emergency directors could not implement their radiological emergency plans. When you say they could not implement their plans, were these active plans for shutdown or were there other factors involved? They said they could not ensure public safety because of the storm. So what should have happened is Entergy should have powered down and then shut down the reactor because if there was an event there, which we know happens during storms, the emergency director said we can't ensure public safety. They ran that reactor right through that storm. And it wasn't until March 4th at 3.40 p.m. that FEMA received a notice that the emergency director said they could implement their plans. So it was over 40 hours that Entergy ran Pilgrim under the eye of the NRC, and there could be no assurance of public safety. I need to roll this back a little bit for clarity. Is it that the Massachusetts Emergency Agency had things that they could do, or the only thing they could do is appeal to Entergy to shut it down? I think they could only appeal to the NRC, and it would be the NRC responsibility to provide. If you can't ensure public safety, there, need to, there needed to be some action. And the NRC did not order a power down or a shutdown during that time. They allowed Entergy to run. And the issue is there are no regulations that require a nuclear reactor to shut down during a storm. They're only procedures. And so, a procedure is voluntary. Exactly. Exactly. That is the definition of numbnuts, if I can use the term that I use here on the show, mm -hmm. but it is insane because it's risking right. our lives. So that brings it up to March 4th. What happened on March 6th? Mm -hmm. Again, as we see this procedure, safety is just a suggestion. And that's what's so crazy. So on March 6th, there was a leak in the treating water system. So they had to shut Pilgrim down. So they were repairing that, and as they were repairing it, on March 12th, we had another big storm. And during that storm, the startup transformer was damaged, and Pilgrim was down until April 20th. So it's just gone back online as of a week ago. Yes, yes. But can you imagine if they were running during that March 12th storm, and that the storm, the transformer was damaged? Thank God it wasn't operating. It's just stunning. It's like mm -hmm. they're playing a game of, of Russian roulette. Thank you. To get it back in operation, there was a replacement of the transformer? Yes. Why are they doing this when Pilgrim has mm -hmm. on schedule, what, a year and a half left to operate? Right, right, right. right. Well, you know, they have a contract with the independent system operators that run the New England grid. 
and they are fined when they aren't operating. So this is the issue, and that's why we say Pilgrim is even more danger to us all now is because Entergy is putting the minimum into this reactor. They were given exemptions to ordered Fukushima safety upgrades. Pilgrim was, Entergy was also given exemptions for cybersecurity upgrades. And the NRC is allowing them to continue to violate federal safety standards without any consequences or accountability. It's really, really dangerous. There's silence on this end right now because my jaw is so dropped at the chances that are being taken mm -hmm. very cavalierly by mm -hmm. this company with this reactor. And it's a major population area. You've got how many millions of people up there? There were 50 million people within the 50-mile emergency planning zone. And let me tell you, too, that recently the Nuclear Regulatory Commission issued a confirmatory letter to Entergy and said you must put procedures in place, you must develop a program to prevent willful misconduct. Explain that one to me. Well, we filed a FOIA to get the background information on that. But the employees, operators are willfully violating federal safety standards. Are they sabotaging the plant? Is that what you're saying? I don't know. That's why I wanted, I, we have put in a foyer to get that information of what is specifically is going on at Pilgrim. But we know that, you know, the fire watches were uh, falsified for two years. We see willful misconduct as the way Entergy is just operating this reactor and having repetitive violations. So the NRC will write up a report. They violated a federal standard and they do it again and again and again. And there's no accountability, there's no fine, there's no ding, there's no slap on the wrist even? No, you know, and I kind of think they've done that so many times that Entergy has them over the barrel because if they tried to implement any kind of consequences, Entergy said, well, we've been doing this for years. Now all of a sudden you're concerned? Dunning malfeasance in all directions. Yes. Give us a picture of what some of these things are that are going on in the plant that, that are going on at the reactor site that really shouldn't be happening. Mm -hmm. Well, there was an errant email that was sent out, and I got it by mistake, um, in 2016, December of 2016. And the NRC inspectors identified issues such that repairs weren't being made, corrective action plans weren't completed, people didn't know what they were doing, repetitive maintenance delayed, and they even said that the workers were overwhelmed just operating the plant. It's a real big mess there. And so we want to know what is more about this confirmatory letter that implicates that Entergy is operating Pilgrim in such a dangerous manner. It needs to be shut down now. We know that, but we're looking to see if we can get more information. I know that you and others from Cape Downwinders maintain regular lines of communication with your government representatives. Mm -hmm. What kind of legislative or political action has there been to these ongoing, never-ending problems at your neighborhood nuclear reactor? Right. Well, you know, we've written many letters to uh, Senator Markey, Senator Warren, Representative Keating, Governor Baker, and uh, Ger Attorney General Healy. We've asked them to file a, a lawsuit against the Nuclear Regulatory Commission for failure to regulate. And we're not getting answers about that. Um, we have asked them to make a statement to call for the immediate shutdown of Pilgrim, 
and we're not getting answers on that either. There's legislation at the state house to increase the emergency planning zone, increase radiation monitoring. Actually, we're going up next week to lobby at the state house for the bills. So we're pushing and pushing. It's just we haven't had our federal officials come up and say, shut it down yet. I like that yet. I also saw a tweet that you sent me a copy of it oh. that the governor of your state actually ducked out a back door to avoid confronting or being confronted by Cape Downwinders. Yes, and that was after that January 4th scram. We said, we're coming up. If there's another scram, we're coming up to the state house and we're calling for your resignation if you haven't called for the shutdown of Pilgrim. You're our chief safety officer and you have a responsibility to enforce public safety in our state. We understand the NRC has the uh, power on the site, but our governor should have the moral authority to say it needs to be shut down. And he has not done that. So we did go up to the state house and deliver the letter. And he, rather than coming out his front door, he went out a back door <laughs> and, and, and down the hall. Um, but, you know, Governor Baker, too, we, uh, in 2016, I think it was, we went to his office and said we want to have a meeting. And we're not leaving until we have a scheduled meeting. It didn't have to be that day. It didn't even have to be that week. We just wanted to have a scheduled meeting. And instead of scheduling a meeting, he had us arrested. So you see, we're looking at a governor who would rather arrest citizens and have a conversation with them. To have That's a conversation about safety. Right, right. How is the media responding to all of this? I know you get great coverage in the Cape Cod Times from Christine Legere. She's one of my favorite reporters in the country. But... In terms of the Boston Globe or any of the regional publications mm -hmm. and also the broadcast media, do they continue to cover the story or has fatigue set in and they go, ah, whatever? Well, you know, Christine Legere is outstanding and the Cape Cod Times has been outstanding too. Actually, after we were arrested in the governor's office, three days later, the Boston Globe came out and said that Pilgrim needs to be shut down sooner rather than later. And the Cape Cod Times has come out in 2015 and said Pilgrim needs to be shut down now. But they follow the story, the New Yorker magazine, the New York Times, the Boston Globe had a front page Boston Globe magazine article last fall when I had an interview with a reporter and we ended up on the property for half an hour without anybody telling us we needed to leave. In other um, words, so you just kind of waltzed in the front door and nobody said, who are you and why are you here? Well, we went up to the, we were in the parking lot past the no trespassing signs past the, this is the Nuclear Regulatory Commission is, you know, mandates, no trespassing, whatever. And uh, we were on the property in front of the uh, cameras and no one came by. Yeah. She was shocked. The reporter was shocked that we could be there that long. And nobody noticed. And nobody noticed. And you know, the dry casks are just sitting right out there, like bowling for terrorists. There's so much that one could say, but this show is now broadcast, so I can't say it in the language I would like to use. Um, but I understand that Pilgrim has become a campaign issue for many of those yes. who are running for office this November. How is it coming up and what kind of a difference is it making? Well, I'll tell you, um, the three Democratic candidates, well, now there's two, uh, but Bob Massey, you go to his website, he has an outstanding position on Pilgrim, shut it down now. Jay Gonzalez the same, and Seti Warren. They all have already said Pilgrim needs to be shut down now. We have made appointments. We already met with Seti. We're meeting with Jay on Monday, and we're waiting for Bob Massey's confirmation. But And Seti Warren just dropped out, I think, yesterday. But the Democratic candidates for governor are making Pilgrim an issue, and we are really pleased with that.
Will they have the power to shut it down once they take office? No, no. And, the, and we know the governor doesn't have the power to shut it down, but the governor should be pressuring our federal officials to speak up. Senator Markey is on the committee that oversees the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. We just need our officials to do their job and provide protection for the public. What is it going to take and what can we do to support you? Well, the way things are going, a lot of folks are thinking it's just going to take an accident. Oh, I that, so hate when we get to say, I told you so. Again, everything that's going on at Pilgrim, it doesn't take much to add one plus one plus one plus one to realize that it adds up to a really bad situation. The worst nuclear reactor run by the worst corporation overseen by the worst <laughs> federal agency totally is not good. Totally captured regulator. Exactly. It's, it's a failure. It's a failure of um, our government to protect the people. And so we're, we're continuing our work. We're working on legislation and working on um, with the candidates and doing public education. And a lot of people have just feeling that, you know what, it's so bad and we are so ignored that unfortunately it might be an accident before people wake up and see how dangerous this is. It'll be too late. Really? But we're never giving up. We're not giving up. We're not giving up till the plug is pulled. I really hope that it doesn't take an accident and that there is no accident, at least none of radiological consequence. It defies logic that right. Pilgrim is still running. And I think that is, for me, mm -hmm. the most frightening part. Because if you can't make sense out of this and take the right. proper steps, there's something really wrong at a really deep level with the thinking either that or everyone has been so bought off compromised overwhelmed or they're drugged out that they can't see the forest for the trees and can't make the right decision and push it through exactly we did ask representative keating we went to a fundraiser and uh, i asked him i said you know you you said that if the nuclear regulatory commission gives entergy the exemption to not upgrade the vents at pilgrim then you will be, quote, unjustifiably exposing Massachusetts communities to danger. And I said, you know, we are thrilled that you recognize that danger. That's really good. But you are just coming up short by not demanding that the Nuclear Regulatory Commission close Pilgrim. And he said, after I pushed him a bit, he said it would frighten people. Yeah. <laughs> Like Pilgrim doesn't frighten people already? Right, right. And it's almost that cognitive dissonance that, you know, this is real. This is reality here, folks. Read the NRC reports. Read the NRC report of, of February 14th, 2017. Page four, nuclear safety is not a priority. You've got to be kidding me. So we go to the NRC, the last NRC meeting. I had that up on a slide and I said, is this report? Did you say this in this report? Yes. It's just insane, but our government needs, our elected officials need to step up. Everyone on the Cape, all the Cape reps have called for the immediate shutdown of Pilgrim. We're waiting for our federal reps to step up. And we, like I said, we asked our attorney general if, if she could do something. Uh, we're not getting much, I mean, they support the issue, but they're not taking action yet. Well, it's a step in the right direction, but they need to be stepping a lot faster and a lot farther yes. before this turns into something that they're not going to be able to step away from. Right, right. Absolutely. Well, 
Well, Diane, it always makes me feel good to know that you're on the job. I wish you didn't have to be. And I want you to let me know when you get the results of that FOIA report, when there's anything to bring us up to date on about Pilgrim, let us know because this is getting down to the wire and it's a race between will it be shut down first or will there be an accident first? Exactly. You, you hit the nail on the head. You hit the nail on the head. So yeah. keep Nuclear Hot Seat in the loop and bring us up to date. Anything happens. Okay, we will do that. Thank you so much. And thank you, Diane, for being my guest this week on Nuclear Hot Seat. Diane Turco of Cape Downwinders. You can reach Diane and the group through their website, capedownwinders.info. Activist shout out for our listeners in Canada. There are calls for signatures to a petition. It's e-petition 1450 that was initiated on January 11, 2018, by Dr. Ole Hendrickson and Elizabeth May, leader of the Green Party of Canada, regarding the necessity for better regulations and urgent reforms to ensure the best management of long-lived radioactive waste. The petition is open for signatures until May 11, 2018, at 8.17 in the morning. I guess that's a Canadian thing. The petition has been signed by over 1,000 Canadians so far, but although the minimum number of signatures required is already surpassed, there's a call to make this a strong statement, a stronger statement, to the Government of Canada. So they're asking for as many signatures as possible by the time the petition is presented. It will be delivered to the elective members of Parliament in the House of Commons for their consideration. And there will be a link up on our website, nuclearhotseat.com, under this episode, number 358, that will allow you to go and sign. Alas, it's only for people who are in Canada, or man, I'd have my signature on it right now. Here's today's final thought. There's a quote from William Shakespeare's Hamlet. Madness in great ones must not unwatched go. In other words... Keep your eyes on who and what has the power, recognize that they're probably nuts, and watch out for when they tilt out of control and see if you can do anything to get them back on track. As you could tell from today's interview, Pilgrim Nuclear Power Station is considered to be seriously out of control by anyone not already compromised by the nuclear industry's propaganda or money. Owner-operator Entergy is ignoring safety standards, being given a get-out-of-jail-free card from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, fudging safety inspections, and why? Because Pilgrim is closing in 2019, and they don't want to shell out money on a losing proposition. So what? As long as that nuclear reactor is allowed to operate, is allowed to be there even, it is dangerous. And the same goes for all other nuclear reactors as well. How and why this technology and industry is allowed to play so loose and fast with our futures is beyond me. All it takes is one. One crack in an embrittled containment structure. One failed piece of equipment. One strategic human mistake. And BAM! We've got another three-mile island. Chernobyl, or Fukushima, or possibly worse. 
And even if there's no catastrophic release of radiation, no explosion or accident, there is always standard operating procedure, tritium leaking into the groundwater. Radiation releases into the air during refueling. Plutonium-containing so-called spent fuel rods just sitting there in overcrowded fuel pools. The radioactive waste legacy of more than 40 years of expensive electricity generation that won't lose its destructive power over people or the environment for 240,000 years. Sorry if I'm sounding gloomy, but some weeks it's just like that, you know? I find myself brooding over a tweet sent out yesterday by Dr. Helen Caldicott, she of the uncompromising spirit who has led so much anti-nuclear thinking and actions for the past four decades. Dr. Caldicott wrote, We can abolish nuclear weapons. We can close down all nuclear reactors. We can move to conservation and renewable energy. But we will never solve nuclear waste. Mm-mm-mm. Just the kind of message to make one's Monday. Even worse, I don't think anybody is trying to find a permanent solution to radioactive nuclear waste. All the nuclear industry is doing is kicking the can down the road, trying to get government approval to move high-level waste from one place to another, take it from a high-rent district to an impoverished area, and foist it on whatever people of color and others happen to be living there. Meanwhile, the industry pretends to be doing something other than acting like a grumpy three-year-old, smushing despised peas around a plate. Only what the nuclear industry is wanting to smush around the country is the slow-motion murder weapon that is radioactive nuclear waste. Madness. Madness in ones who may not be great, but they do have the power, like energy and the NRC. As Shakespeare warned us, we got to keep an eye on those buggers before they get us all killed. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, May 1st, 2018. Material for this week's show has been researched and compiled from Nuclear-news.net, deunrenard.wordpress.com, miningawareness.wordpress.com, columbia.com, albuquerquejournal.com, tri-cityherald.com, and the writing of Annette Carey, oregonlive.com, cleveland.com, wpxi.com, sfchronicle.com, miamiherald.com, theantimedia.com, japantimes.co.jp, iflscience.com, WashingtonSpectator.org, Telegraph.co.uk, IrishTimes.com, Independent.co.uk, HeraldScotland.com, SputnikNews.com, NEIS.org, and the inimitable Dave Kraft, TheGuardian.com, Dr. Gordon Edwards, Beyond Nuclear and Kevin Camps, TheUndercurrentNews.com, The Soul Dead Cubicle Drones Who Grind Out Press Releases for World Nuclear News, the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission, and a shout-out to you, the Nuclear Hot Seat listeners and followers around the world, 123 countries strong on six continents and counting. Plus, 
Now we have everyone who's listening on our growing network of broadcast stations around the U.S. You, all of you, are the ones who show your love for life on this planet by being the kick-ass defenders of nuclear truth and supporters of atomic awareness that you are. Thanks for all of you who have already visited the Nuclear Hot Seat Facebook page. And if you haven't already, come on down. Check it out. Click like, follow, feel free to post and share. Let's get some dialogue going. Remember that you can find our back episodes, all 357 of them, at nuclearhotseat.com. If you put in slash blog to the URL, you'll be able to scan about 10 episodes at a time. You can also find our show at iTunes. Theme music written by me, sung by Marilee Weber, accompaniment by John Barnard, and recorded at Winslow Court Studio in Hollywood. If you would like to get Nuclear Hot Seat delivered to your email every week, it's easy. Just go to NuclearHotSeat.com, look for the yellow box, and sign up for a weekly email link to the latest show. You will also receive a sample chapter from my very soon-to-be-published book, Yes, I Glow in the Dark, One Mile from Three Mile Island to Fukushima and Nuclear Hot Seat. The book went to the editor today. It's right now in process for getting the covers designed, and with any luck, by the end of this month or the beginning of next, it will be ready for everyone to read. If you have a story lead, a hot tip, or a suggestion of someone to interview, send an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com. We are copyright 2018, Libby Halevi and Hardestry Communications. All rights reserved, but fair use allowed as long as proper attribution is provided. And if you appreciate weekly verifiable news updates about nuclear issues around the world, Take a moment to send a donation of any size to NuclearHotSeat.com. We will really appreciate your support. This is Libby Halevi of Heartistry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that the last thing I or anyone involved with the anti-nuclear movement wants to be able to say is, I told you so. (laughs) Let's not have a chance to say that. There, you have just had your nuclear wake-up call. So don't go back to sleep, because we are all in the nuclear hot seat. Nuclear hot seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat. It's the bomb.